Hello, this is your host, Dr. Casey Bradley, and welcome to Pig Progress's The Real P3 Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the producers around the world. In this week's episode, we're going to visit with the founder of Every Pig, Chris Bombars. He grew up in the swine industry and developed an application and a communication tool to make our industry better. So stay tuned. Well, hello, Chris. Welcome to the Roll P3. Hi, Casey. Thanks for having me on today. Well, thank you. I, we would love to know a little bit about your background. I'm sure a lot of people already know you in every pig, but for our audience who may not be in the U.S., may need a refresher on your background and, and journey. Sure. So um, I grew up in a small town, Orange City in Northwest Iowa. Just to give you a little context around Orange City, I think Sioux County at that time had about 30,000 people and over a million pigs. So it's it's definitely an agricultural area. My dad started the Orange City Veterinary Clinic. He's a veterinarian by trade. So like a lot of Midwestern kids and, and probably kids around the globe that grow up around agriculture, I was often used as labor for his business, <laughs> um, which you know, sometimes I hated, but looking back on it, it, it really was a major benefit in life. But it gave me an opportunity to learn. Despite growing up in town, I got to learn a lot about agriculture and livestock through his business. So some of my early jobs over there were doing things like printing off labels for medications, vaccinating pigs, preg checking cows, loading hogs for market. Once my dad made the mistake of having me be the application of ivomecporon on cattle, which I accidentally shocked afterwards and set a cow on fire. So he didn't have me do that job. <laughs> oh, wow. But uh, it was quite an experience. The farmer was not super happy about that one. But yeah, that's, that's just a little bit about, uh, I guess, kind of how I grew up. I went on to study international business, studied in Spain and then Loyola University in New Orleans, worked for a logistics company after graduating. And then I got brought back into the industry in around 2008 after I'd helped sell the company that I was managing in Costa Rica and sold myself out of a job at a time when there weren't a lot of jobs out there. And that's when I started looking at my dad's business model, where he had started partnering with some of his customers around Northwest Iowa that were usually diversified, you know, corn, soy, some cattle and some pigs. And due to consolidation in the industry, high volatility, tight margins, you know, the, the smaller producers were just having a tough time staying in business. And so he started buying feeder pigs off the spot market, negotiating feed costs with the local elevators and larger marketing agreements with packers. And then was just locking in futures contracts on the CME. And it, it was a great business model for him, but he was kind of wearing all the hats. And that was sort of my entry point back into the industry. So an entrepreneur back to being a hog farmer and now... Tell us a little bit about every pig, because obviously your background, in my mind, goes into your development of every pig, and kind of walk us through that journey because it's it's been a it's been a journey for you. It, yeah, it, it definitely has been a journey. I think a little over seven years now from from getting the initial ideas to today. But the idea and and, and really concept goes back to that time at, at working in the family business, RC Family Farms. My day-to-day was really negotiating and buying spot market pigs, as many as I could. And we were I was really focused on growing the business as, as much as possible. The second part of that day-to-day was finding barns and negotiating yardage 
with growers out there. And, and we had a lot of success. And we had some years where we, we grew 100, 200%. I think over the first five years to seven years um, when I was in the business, we grew from owning and raising around 30,000 pigs a year to over a million and a half pigs a year on 350 farms. And the reason I bring that up is just because we learned about the problems at scale. And there came a moment in that process where, you know, I realized that we weren't recognizing and responding to the pig health challenges quick enough. It was driving my dad crazy as a veterinarian. Obviously, he didn't want to see any dead pigs. That kind of felt like a failure anytime we'd, we'd see major mortality events. It was costing us money, obviously. Uh, and, you know, our numbers weren't worse than the industry average. They were probably a little better than the industry average, but it's a major problem for every company that, that's operating at scale. And so I, I kind of had a tug at my conscience as well. I thought, well, you know, we're stewards of a lot of animals and responsible for producing a lot of high quality food for the world. We need to make sure we're doing the best job possible. And so that's kind of when I began looking at how we're collecting information from the farm. And what's the real problem? Why aren't we recognizing and responding to these pig health challenges quick enough? And it really came down to a process issue. A lot of this important time-sensitive information was being collected on pieces of paper. You know, people call them paper barn sheets or barn records. And these records, in, in our case and a lot of the industry's case, they were getting faxed into a centralized office at the end of the week or end of the month, more often than not. And then those numbers oftentimes were just mortality reports, you know, numbers getting keyed into mortality reports. So really, a lot of producers at that time and still, they're looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, they're in an F1 race car or in a NASCAR going 200 miles per hour, but they're not looking through the dashboard. They're, they're looking in the rearview mirror as to their problems. And pig health challenges, as you know, spread really quickly. And raising pigs in Northwest Iowa in a, in a very pig-dense area, it's even more important. So that's when I realized, you know, we need to digitize this process. I started out, I think back in 2015, found myself a software designer and started to work on every pig, which in the beginning was really just digitizing the paper barn sheets to make sure that veterinarians and field managers got real-time access to pig health information, including pictures, videos, tied to all the group information. So instead of just a text message, they had all the context that they needed around the group. Wow. And then, but it's grown since then though. Yeah. Yeah, it has. We're, we're up to um, about 2,300 active users. We're growing our customer base. We've got nine language versions. And that's another thing that, that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. You know, we've seen a big shift in the workforce out there in, in pork production. And here in the U.S., We've never seen as many Spanish-speaking team members as we have today. And, and so there's definitely a, a major communications gap in a lot of these companies that's just based on, on language alone. And, and that's one of the things I'm proud of, of our work is having nine language versions, including Spanish and Google Translate inside the app to really help facilitate that communication with growers. And now you're almost kind of diagnosing the pigs somewhat or giving recommendations of diagnosis based on historical data, picture, camera data, machine learning, kind of it's advanced more than just that instant communications. You're helping also diagnose pigs. 
Yeah, I want to be careful about that area. Oh. It's a, you know, it's a, it's yeah. a little. <laughs> Make no, a I'm recommendation. Gl- I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up, but I've learned to be really careful in this area because we're not really making diagnosis. What we're trying to do is act as a support system to veterinarians and field managers and, and caregivers. But you, one of the uh, services that you had mentioned is a computer vision algorithm. We've had veterinarians inside the platform receiving images, and they've been able to tag a lot of these images, tens of thousands of them, with diagnosis, in-app diagnosis. And we've learned that, uh, we've trained that data set, or we've, we've trained an algorithm using that data set to be able to recognize uh, over 20 different illnesses and pictures. And what's happening is caregivers on the farm, oftentimes after pigs are dying, they're cutting open the pigs, they're doing a, a necropsy, uploading an image, and then our system takes a look at it. And if the algorithm has a high confidence level that it's recognized something that it's seen in the past in that image and knows what it is, then we'll just make a little notification and say, hey, illness potentially recognized here. So that's one of the services. The other you mentioned was a machine learning algorithm. We've collected, I think, somewhere over 3 million digital barn sheets now that were paper barn sheets. And we've been able to train an algorithm based on that data set to be able to recognize patterns that are coming from over 100 different inputs, like symptoms of the animals, mortalities in the group, and all that information. And it can actually, in a lot of cases, forecast mortality events a week in advance. And so what we're trying to do there is obviously help producers to become proactive versus reactive and say, hey, the algorithm thinks that there's a chance of a major mortality event coming up in the next seven days. You might want to take a look at this group and see if there's some preventative action that could be taken. Well, thank you for going into more details. I oversimplified it, but yes, it still takes a veterinarian. But as we know, in these large systems, there's only so many farms a veterinarian can get to in a day, in a week, and then crossing biosecurity planes as well. So I just love the idea that it's instantaneous. Everybody can take pictures. Everybody's phone has a camera today. And it's nice to, you know, I even get schooled from a vet. I'm like, okay, here's a picture. This is what I think. And then I get the neocropsy result back from the vet and they have a little bit more. And I'm like, yeah, I missed that. I miss, you know, miss that. So I think that's kind of cool to where even, you know, veterinarians, I think that the trained camera, right, is also good from their standpoint if they're in a hurry maybe they misdiagnose and you can at least compare it back to your program, right? And I think a lot goes into that of getting ahead. I love the idea of proactive. I think our industry, like you said, rear beer mirror and reactive all the time. And I that's what, at least from a manager perspective, was a burnout for me, was just the constant reactive and sort of trying to put processes in place to be more proactive. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really interesting point, you know, about the farm visits. I've not come across the system in my seven years of working with every pig that we talked to where the veterinarians felt like they had too much time on their hands, field managers either. So I I think it's really a matter of helping them prioritize which farms actually need that in-person visit. Probably a controversial area, but I don't mind getting to a little bit of controversy. Is Also, you mentioned the, the biosecurity of the visit. You know, I think we're going to have interesting conversations in the next few years about how many of these visits are really necessary. And I think there there are a lot of revenue streams in the industry that are dependent on a physical farm visit. And I think we're going to see a lot of those 
really being supplemented by veterinarians and, and management teams being able to charge for reviewing things digitally and responding to them digitally, which is, it's going to be a lot more biosecure. So again, I, I don't think we should replace all farm visits by any means, but what we try to do inside of every pig is give all the context, give all the real-time information so systems can really triage and prioritize which physical on-farm visits are necessary. No, I agree. I mean, you see it in human medicine, right? So we're doing televisits and everything else. So I see that I've seen advertisement. You can go to a televised veterinarian on the computer for your dog. And I'm like, not quite sure how that works, but you know. uh, (laughs) Yep. I think COVID really helped usher a lot of that in, right? Kind of the idea of of doing things at home. and, And in a lot of cases, things can be done much quicker. I mean, we see... If you'd ask veterinarians how many farms that they're physically visiting a day, you know, you might get a range from one to three, four, five. I'm not sure you might might argue me on that, but depending on, you know, how close the farms are. But we see veterinarians covering dozens and dozens of cases a day on every pig. So I think, you know, when we look at issues like the labor shortage in our industry, I think, yeah, maybe we are a little bit short on labor, but maybe not. So if we start implementing and using tools that help make us uh, much more productive than the current way we're doing business. Yeah, and I can use the example being in Northwest Arkansas today. We are on lockdown. So I work with poultry and swine today in my life and career. But, you know, with the high path AI hit, luckily it sounds like it's just stayed on the one site in Arkansas and it hasn't spread. But the same vaccine crew, you know, was there without knowing it was high path and then went somewhere else and somewhere else before they detected high path. So that's just an example of, you know, it could have been a disaster for the Arkansas poultry industry. And we look at ASF, we start having these tools available now and perfecting them when we don't have a pandemic epidemic, you know, but, you know, ASF, I think that's kind of really important. And, you know, what, Kind of with your vision of every pig with these different disease breaks, have you put in some GPS, an ability to cross talk to farms like for PERS, you know, how they've done PERS monitoring by regions and things? What is kind of the future there to, to be able to cross talk to other producers in that highly dense pig area? Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, we do have some idea. We know where the farms are located at. We do know where diagnoses are being made in in the application and also where symptoms are being reported. And so there is some tracking that we're doing on the back end and the algorithms are monitoring through. We even have one algorithm that makes illness forecasts. That is kind of in the elementary stages. We don't have it released to production. So we are thinking along the lines that, that you're mentioning for sure. But on the human side, you know, producers are pretty reluctant to share data, as you know. Yeah. And so we've not had a lot of requests to, to share data across the platform just yet. But I, I think an interesting point you brought up earlier, if I could circle back to it, it, w- it was around preparing for foreign animal disease outbreak versus responding and reacting to it. And I couldn't agree more. The time to prepare for a foreign animal disease outbreak is now before you have it. Because if and when ASF 
hits the United States, our industry is going to be in absolute panic mode. And that's not a very good time to start implementing new systems into your company. You know, farm visits are going to be reduced dramatically, maybe around 95%, you could say, for, for a period of time. And producers are still going to need to have access to data to know what's actually happening on the farm. Well, how are you going to do that? It's not going to be through text messages and pieces of paper um, that get faxed in. And so I think that's a really good point you brought up about preparing for foreign animal disease outbreaks before it happens. And, and the time to do that would be now. And I think you're probably what learning through every every pig with your tools is you're probably saving man hours. You're saving pigs ultimately. Yeah, and that's that's definitely core to what we're doing. You know, if you look at, I think Metafarms came out earlier this year, and they they do each year, uh, maybe even each quarter now, with reports on like wean to finish mortality numbers in the United States. Our wean to finish mortality is getting worse in the U.S. year over year, and this is a big thing that I don't hear very many people talking about. But if you're running a company at scale, this is costing you millions of dollars every single year. And if we're continuing to do things in the same way that we've always done them and we think we're going to get a better result, we all know the, the definition of insanity. So <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, now is a good time to start looking at, you know, are you really interested in lowering your wean to finish mortality rates? It is possible, but it's going to involve some pain because you're going to realize there are a lot of things going on in your system that, that you don't know about. And so you probably are going to have some more headaches by, by turning the lights on in your system for a little bit. But that's part of, you know, that's part of the growing process. There's going to be a little bit of pain there initially before you start seeing the benefit. Well, I'm glad, Chris, you walked us down that path a little bit because we've had previous conversations. And I would say, as I work with more producers and I don't just work, you know, like I said, multi-species, and it's funny how they are so much alike across species. They're not different because they're people. And, you know, one of the comments I had with my assistant, Mitch, was, you know, we were talking about this and I said, sometimes people just don't want their problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're making a really good point, especially if they've had that same problem for 30 years. It, it is difficult. You know, I think the, the broader concept maybe we're talking about here is change management. And, you know, we've had some, some offline conversations around the generational shift and transition that's slowly happening in our industry. We're all getting older, but a lot of the people in leadership positions in our industry, you know, they're, they're getting well into their 60s, some of them early 70s. And I think technology offers a real opportunity for companies that embrace it to help attract that next generation to come into agriculture. People don't want to work for companies that are operating like it's 1970. They want to they want to come into a company, even if it's an old industry. I think employees want to come into companies that are operating with new technology that's uh, up to date and relevant today. Yeah, I mean, I've worked with a lot of producers as they transitioned more. You work on the finisher side, but we can say tech and just in general, right? So ESF systems, group housing. A lot of people had went with stanchions versus electronic feeding systems because they're they're like, well, my employees can't handle tech. And it's really, I think, the ownership, the leadership that can't handle tech because the culture that I see between a low tech versus a high tech company is totally different. The, the employees are really engaged in the data. They're really engaged in their improvements. And I see that with the tech companies. But when you're still doing paper and doing that faxing that you talk about, regardless of what phase of production, 
those employees are disconnected, right? They don't know where they've been and where they need to go. They may have their KPI on a, on a bonus structure, but if they're not accessing the data and they're not part of the solution, I've really seen technology in some of these managements and farms, even with Hispanic employees, that they are engaged in becoming better with technology. And I think you know, five, 10 years ago, when we started talking about these shifts in technology, I don't think the leadership saw the fact that that was possible, right? They saw all these challenges with it and working with it today in the management on the farms in real time is actually an engaging, and that's what employees want, right? Retention. Are they engaged in the solution? If you keep yelling about to them about the problems, and not making them part of the solution, that's where that employee turnover comes from. And I think technology and, and tools like yours, that opens the door for them to be part of the solution and not the problem. Yeah, you brought up a lot of really good points there. And I think one that is worth diving into a little bit deeper is exactly what you mentioned about oftentimes it's the leadership that's actually holding back technology adoption. In fact, I would say 90% of the time, it's the leadership. And you'll hear things like, and this is not just on in my every pig meetings, this is talking to people that are in, offering other tech solutions in the industry, you'll, but you'll hear excuses from pig owners that, oh, my, my caregivers don't know how to, won't know how to use technology. Well, you mentioned, Casey, um, some of the Spanish speaking caregivers. Think about this. If you've got caregivers that are from Guatemala, that are from Mexico, Honduras, that are here in the United States, how do you think they're communicating with people back home? It's not, they're not writing letters. Okay. No. They're, they're on WhatsApp. They're, they're on iMessage. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They're sending money back through applications. And we see, you know, a lot of Hispanic, Spanish speaking caregivers using every pig that before when they couldn't communicate with their field managers, now they can communicate with their field managers because of the translate functionality that we have inside the platform. So that, that's kind of a, a, another point. But before moving on to that, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's not the caregivers that can't handle technology. I think a lot of times it, it's management that's making an excuse because they really don't want the change to happen. So I think we need to challenge the industry to say, hey, instead of maybe using that 10% of your system that really is absolutely terrible or refuses to use technology, why don't you look at the 90% and focus on the 90% that do? Because the number is somewhere close to 90% in my experience of the people that can get on a cell phone or a tablet and complete a daily checkup. In our system, the average daily checkup takes 45 seconds. And the average amount of onboarding that's needed for a caregiver, human onboarding is zero. It's absolutely zero. We have maybe 5% of caregivers that approach us and they have some questions as to how to fill out a checkup. It's really not that hard. So you brought up a point that I'm, I'm obviously pretty passionate about, but that's not tailoring to the 10% that might not know how to use a cell phone or want to use it. Look at the 90% and that, that base keeps growing, right? And it's going to be 100% soon. As from 2022, Pick Progress is proud to be teaming up with The Real P3 Podcast 
Professionals from around the globe already knew how to find Pig Progress as a reliable source of global and exclusive pig information through our website, newsletter, magazine, social media, and webinars. And now, in its 38th year of existence, there is no escaping. Your favorite pig media is prominently present in audio form as well. Find out more to access all podcast episodes and register for a free newsletter through www.pigprogress.net. Well, let's kind of tie this in a little bit and we can go off topic a little bit. Let's talk about tech. Today, everybody, you have an app and we can name off several other companies who have an app. I got an app for my controllers. I got an app for my alarms. I got an app for my mortality flow. I got a sow farm app. I got my pig champ or pig nose record keeping. That's a lot of apps. It's a lot of different things that don't talk to each other. And since I kind of also work for a tech company, getting APIs and getting access to connections for my customers is a royal pain in the butt. This is a a real problem with tech that I see kind of moving forward for adoption. We're making it challenging for producers to use these different tools. Yeah, I I think there's a real opportunity there. Um, You mentioned APIs. You know, APIs are just think of them as integrations or helping systems talk to each other, right? Uh, One way we've done this, so for example, my family business uses MetaFarms. They use FAS on the feed ordering, MetaFarms for historical and and financial information. And then they still use those and every pig. We find most of our customers do use a number of these other systems. I think it's important that we create these integrations so we give all of our customers the data they need. There's not going to be one system or company that does all of this, although I think it would make sense if we start seeing maybe some more consolidation in terms of some of these tech solutions because a lot of producers don't want to be working with multiple vendors. They prefer to be working with a vendor that they they know and trust versus forming a new relationship. The problem is the companies that they've had relationships for 20 years haven't really innovated in 15 or 20 years. There are a lot of newcomers that are coming on board, but these companies do need to talk with each other. So at Every Pig, we've created integrations where we push mortality data every night to MetaFarms. We can push mortality data to FAS. Barn Tools is another new up-and-coming company in the industry that's doing a good job monitoring things in the barn like temperature and water consumption. We also talk with that system. So I don't see in the near term one system doing all of this or Mm -hmm. one application doing all this, but I completely agree. We need an open integration philosophy so we can share all this data so you don't need to enter it into multiple systems. And I would say that open integrations goes really well with us startups, but it's more those giants that are afraid they're going to lose market share in my mind that they don't want to help some of these startups where, like I said, you're not competing against PigChamp or PigNose. You're integrating or into MetaFarms, right? You're integrating into that data, but you're not taking away from that. I think you're absolutely right. Um, My experience has been the more entrenched players that have been in the industry longer are much less likely to want to share the data simply because they're not innovating fast enough. And they feel very threatened by startup companies. So it's going to take, it takes pressure from customers to their providers to say, hey, this is our data. We're going to need you to do this. We're going to need you to talk to this system. But I also do see more and more companies that 
are reluctantly integrating it is just going to take pressure by the customer, in my opinion. Yeah, and they they tend to take the pressure better from the big boys than they do the small boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which is unfortunate, right? Because we need all sizes and types of producers to be successful. Yeah, I think so too. And you know, when you look at it from a, a vendor standpoint, creating more integrations really creates stickiness with your product. If it fits into the puzzle for them and, and it's something that's valuable, the more systems you're talking to, the better. So I really don't think it's anything to be afraid of. I think we need to be focused on the customer and bringing them as much value as you can. Yeah. So technology obviously is the future. I don't think it's the future. I think it's now and it's going to just improve for the future. What are some of the other main problems that you see today in our industry? I mean, you've got just as many years in it as I do and kind of entrenched into the industry and your experience, what do you see some main challenges you touched on mortality? That's kind of my soapbox, but (laughs) (laughs) yeah, mine, mine too. I think, you know, we touched a little bit on that generational shift, but it may be worth diving into a little bit deeper. You know, our industry is aging pretty quickly and everyone seems to be having a difficult time pulling the younger generation quote unquote onto the farm. I would challenge people to say, Hey, do we really need to have them on the farm? I wasn't on the farm and I was, you know, I was buying over a million and a half pigs a year for a number of years and I was never seeing those pigs myself physically. I was maybe working remote a little, little bit ahead of my time. But I think, you know, technology offers us a way to attract talent without them having to live in that small town in Iowa or Nebraska, maybe, but they still can be involved in the business if they are using technology. So I think that generational shift, it is going to be a challenge especially for the companies that don't want to embrace new technology. I think another big issue coming up is consolidation seems to be happening faster and faster. It's really challenging to stay in business. Um, you know, we, we've spoken about this online, but we see you know, more and more people slowly going to raising it more of a niche product, whether that's you know, organic, antibiotic-free, you know, outdoor, a combination of all those. That seems to be maybe one of the easier entry points to getting into the industry versus raising a commodity pig. You're really going to be under a lot of pressure to raise a lot of pigs. Otherwise, you're not going to have the right agreement from the packer. You're not going to get paid very well from the packer. The feed mills are not going to give you very good prices. Medication costs are going to be higher. You know, you, you know the story. So I think that's going to be a real challenge. I don't know if we're going to see a, a shift in antitrust regulation. You know, we've seen, heard some talk of it. Here in the past, foreign owned, foreign ownership of, of animals seems to be becoming more of a conversation around a national security issue. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to see much of any regulatory change in the near future, but these are all interesting topics that are worth keeping an eye out on. I think those kind of both go hand in hand. And let's go back to the generational shift. I went into ag because I really love the animals and the work and the burnout made me not you know, have the same passion because, and I think it's different when you're invested in it and you own it, right? To have that same level of passion, because if it's your legacy, if it's your family, you take more ownership in it. And we talk about this next generation and it doesn't matter what industry you're in. And we see a lot of this where there's lack of ownership and you talk about the shift. I'm not going to get the cart before the horse because I don't have the money in my bank account yet, but it, it's looking very promising that 
I thought I would never own a hog farm and it may just happen right this next year. But audience, don't think I'm a pig producer yet. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully soon. But you're talking about, I'm already talking about, you know, from a research standpoint, but to your point, I'm diversifying my revenue, not just to research. I'm looking at, can I combine research with some of this niche marketing? And if I'm going to go into this, I'm going to practice what I preach. Like I'm going to do high welfare. I'm going to go with the fancy tech. I'm going to do it right. But I'm also going to be able to do some niche marketing around it and think outside the box. And, you know, I think when we look at these large systems, I think we created this micro environment that causes burnout. It doesn't matter what company or what person I talk to. They're on a sow farm or they're a, a finisher supervisor. They're all under burnout because they don't get any time off. Like it's constant. Where if you think some of these niche producers who can batch farrow, maybe there's not as intensive, you know, it's not that traditional old model. You know, my dad farrowed two sow groups a year and, you know, sold the gilts after they farrowed. I don't think he had necessarily the same burnout because in the fall he was harvesting, in the winter, maybe raising some pigs, spring planting, summer, you know, sending the pigs off to market. And, you know, the employees seem to be more content with a variety of tasks. But so when we look at work-life balance, but also people don't want to be that repetitive factory day-to-day work. So how do we get around that? That's a tough question. I completely agree with your points. And, you know, when you look at, you know, my dad's generation, a lot of these people were working 80, 100-hour weeks. I mean, just nonstop. The new generation doesn't want to work as much. They they care about things like work-life balance. These weren't converse work-life balance. I'd never heard of that growing up. I didn't hear about that until five. I still don't have it. Don't get it me wrong. The, it was work and you pay your bills and then maybe have a little fun, right? Yeah. And I think there's probably some frustration built up in the older generation saying, okay, these younger people, they they just don't want to work. I don't know if it's they just don't want to work as much as they don't want to be a workaholic. So I, I think, you know, you're bringing up an interesting point around diversification in the job. As the industry has become so competitive and margins have become so tight, I think it's forced, number one, it's forced companies to raise a lot more pigs. Mm-hmm. And then number two, it's forced companies to specialize highly, mm-hmm. become highly specialized versus having that kind of diverse work day that, that you described. I don't necessarily know what the answer to that is in the future, but I think maybe being aware of it as a business owner and as maybe an older producer thinking, well, you know, these, these people don't want to work or, or maybe getting frustrated with the people. If you can empathize with their situation and realize, well, maybe they just do value work-life balance a little more and need a little more diversity in what their day looks like, kind of offering them a few tasks each instead of just one specific task might be something that is helpful. Well, I just see it as I'm going to go into a hog farm. You're going to make me shower in, shower out. You know, I have to wear all these clothes that I may not. It's not my style. Maybe that's not what I like. I'm going to get dirty. I'm going to smell. I can't have pigs of my own. My kids can't have the 4-H pigs, right? Work-life balance. And you're going to only pay me, I think the best I've heard, maybe is $18 an hour starting. Maybe if we're lucky in that range. Why would you do it for that, right? I mean, when there's so many other jobs now, you take an economy and there's not jobs, then yeah, you 
it doesn't really matter, right? We go back to our parents' generation and rural communities, they took the jobs they had, but we look at rural life today, remote work's totally changed it, right? The, yeah. the cost of flights have totally changed that I can go see my family more often than I don't have to, you know, live an hour from. And it's so funny, you go back to some of these people, driving an hour to see a family is like a real challenge. And I'm like, and they don't see their family as much as I see my family who lives 13 hours away. So I think that mindset shift, right? And we, you mentioned earlier before we started recording, psychology. Whoever would have thought we had to become psychologists? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm far from it. But I think, you know, I am a, a novice student. And I think, you know, the more we can understand other people, the better we're going to be, the better off we're, we're going to be in you brought up a, 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 an interesting point around, you know, the remote work and how that's changed the workforce. Now, our industry is about two things, people and pigs. Pigs haven't changed too much. Now, you can argue about some changes in the genetics. You know, I won't get too deep into that. But the people have changed more than the pigs, in my opinion. And one of that, the big shifts is, you know, instead of being in that small town in Nebraska where you were maybe competing against some other farms in the area, a local bank, the school system, maybe the hospital in terms of competing for employees, you're now competing against everybody because of this remote work concept. So I think the job opportunities to live in a smaller town and make a higher salary, maybe because you're working for a large corporation that's based in a, a bigger city, I think those opportunities are, are real and they're more abundant. And I think the competition for attracting employees has really gone up quite a bit. And, and I don't hear people talking about that a lot. So I, th I think it's a really interesting point you brought up. Yeah. Well, before we go, what's the future of every pig in the swine industry in your mind in the next five to 10 years? Where do you, where are you planning on going with your business and where do you see the swine industry fitting into that? Well, one of the things that we focus a lot on is communication. Our industry has a major challenge communicating with each other. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that in agriculture, people have been very independent. They're not, you know, living in buildings with hundreds of other people or working in buildings with hundreds of other people. You know, a lot of times we come from, you know, a background where we're off doing our own thing for much, if not all of our day. Well, if you're part of a larger system raising pigs, um, you've got to be communicating with a number of people within those systems. And so uh, a big part of what we do in terms of communications in every pig is centralize communications inside our platform and then automate communications. So we're automatically sending out messages via text message and email and inside the application. Last month, I just looked at this before we got on today. Every pig sent out over 55,000 automated text messages for our customers last month. We sent out over 56,000 emails for our customers automated in the last month. So a lot of these phone calls and phone tag that companies are paying, you know, people to, to really play phone tag all day. I think that's going to be made redundant and unnecessary. Uh, it, it can be much more efficient sending out automated communications. I think we're going to see a lot more of that in the future. I think, you know, agriculture is the least digitized industry in the world, according to a McKinsey report that came out not so long ago. We're going to see everything digitized. On our near-term roadmap here in the next couple of weeks, actually, we're releasing a report builder. This really came from site visit reports that are being filled out by field managers and veterinarians. But we realized there are other reports like wash audit reports or, or seasonal checklists that producers have. 
we're digitizing those things for them. And I think other companies are going to be doing, you know, they're going to be doing some of the same. So in the future, I think we're going to see everything digitized, forget paper. It's not going to be out there. Another thing, you know, I think the facilities are going to look different. And I've been optimistic about this for, for a long time. I'm, I'm really bad at predicting when things are going to happen in the future. Maybe not as bad, you know, predicting what's going to happen. But there are companies out there like Vironment that are really doing interesting things in terms of innovating in the barn space. I think you're going to see things like animals getting access to sunlight, I think is going to be maybe a little more common. I think you're going to see buildings that can capture gases and you're going to see things like carbon credits start to play a role maybe in facilitating new buildings being developed. And I think that's a really interesting area that's going to offer a lot of opportunity. And of course, robotics are going to play a big role in that. You know, you can look at Tesla is already working and, and quite a ways down the road on creating a robot that, that way, may one day act as a caregiver. I think they're thinking along the lines of a human caregiver to do human tasks. But um, why couldn't you have a robot one day that does a lot of the boring tasks or, or tasks that people don't want to do in general uh, in the hog barns? Vaccinating pigs might even be part of that. So I don't, I don't think that's going to happen in the next two to five years. So maybe that's a little closer to 10 years out. But I do think robotics are going to play a really interesting role in the future. Well, awesome. I always love getting to talk to people who kind of think like-minded in the future, right? So before we go, we're running out of time a little bit, but I give my guests the opportunity to turn the table and ask me any last questions. Or if that's not a preference, you can leave us with some last minute thoughts for the audience. It's your pick. Well, I know you've got a lot of experience in the industry, not only in swine and poultry. And you mentioned earlier, you see a lot of crossover. What are some of the similar challenges that you see in swine and poultry? And I'd be interested in hearing, what do you think we can learn from each other? Because in a lot of ways, you'll hear people in swine say, hey, those poultry people are really ahead of us in terms of technology adoption. And I've had more and more conversations with people in poultry lately that don't really feel like they're a long ways ahead in technology adoption. So I think maybe it'd be interesting to hear what are some of the lessons we could learn from each other and where's the crossover? Yeah, and I can add that in. I'm also working with a rabbit breeder who is really trying to raise a commercial herd to be like a sow integrator, right? They're trying to integrate and, and become large scale, right? And specialized. So I see a, a budding industry there, right? That's maybe behind all of us to where I see, you know, obviously what. The poultry industry, I think, does more effectively than we do on the integration side is the complex systems, right? They have that centralized slaughter plant, feed mill, live production, and they do that really well. I see that's a really advantage for them. I'm not sure how we could facilitate that as well in swine because of disease and in you know, a sow and, and lifespan versus poultry, right? And so it's a much cheaper to ship eggs um, over to a hatchery in another state than it is live pigs, for instance. So they do have some advantages from that perspective that, you know, their offspring is in egg form and, and they have a lot smaller package to get it there and, you know, more controlled conditions to, to get it to those different complexes from a, a genetics mul multiplication perspective. You know, something they did a long time ago that we're just starting to integrate today in swine is the mill management because of this complex, right? So a lot of them were ahead of us on feed systems and 
load cells on their feed bins and that, you know, automatic tracking, they go into less rations, you know, less phases. They're really about mill efficiency. They're about slaughter efficiency. And, you know, that's all very integrated. And I see that's probably one of our number one challenges we have. I'm not saying the poultry doesn't even have variation issues, but if you look at the swine industry, we still lack a lot of efficiency into considering our mill through slaughter, right? It's very segmented, yeah, even in an integrated system. And they have contract growers and we have contract growers, but, you know, the pay, pay system's different for those contract growers at times. You know, we're giving yardage to our contract growers where the contract growers for poultry are getting paid on weight, right? So number of birds and weight out of their barn. So I see some of those advantages, right or wrong, some efficiencies. They do have health challenges. I think the swine industry from a biosecurity and understanding that pyramid is ahead of the poultry industry in my mind. But then I think high path AI has totally changed that, right? And you can see people suiting up and disinfectants and, and different things. So it's really kind of, in, you know, in closing systems down, you know, high path AI hits and what do they do? They just close down every visit. Right. So I think, you know, I just see what's happened with that going into the swine industry with ASF kind of scares me because poultry, you know, it's okay for them to go in and euthanize a herd and not lose too much money. I'm not saying they didn't lose a lot of millions of dollars, but that kind of really scares me, Chris, is if ASF hits in the U.S. and just kind of seeing these different production systems I work with from, a you know, an infant to a really integrated, I think it's going to be a complete disaster for the swine industry. I don't think we're prepared. I don't think we talk enough. And then it's just the integrators that are prepared and none of the niche producers, right? And so, yeah. you know, integrator might be able to absorb losing a complex of chickens or pigs because of ASF or high path AI, but we're talking the fifth generation farmer who's, you know, raising Nyman Ranch pigs, you know, those producers, if they lost their business, that would be gone forever, right? It's hard to come back from. And, you know, that's kind of some of the things that I'm worried about where I see on the poultry side, you see this new integration and changes into more smaller producers, right? More um, backyard poultry sales and stuff. So I think that's flourishing there too. And, you know, I think the swine industry is kind of on the coattails again on, re, you know, flourishing those types of producers. But that's kind of the differences. I mean, it's really precise and specialized in the poultry industry. They get one thing wrong and, you know, they have issues like woody breast. They, you know, when we go to PSE, we were able to solve that. They're still working through woody breast. But at the same time, at least I think they're on a path of what's causing it and, and working on it where we have lameness issues, we have mortality issues, and we come, become blinded to that lack of efficiency, right? When you look at the integrated poultry, they have a lot lower mortalities than we do. And we just keep ignoring that and uh, accepting it. So I think that's the biggest difference from a welfare standpoint. I think, you know, the, the poultry industry can at least, if people are going to choose between chicken or pork, they say, well, our welfare is so much better. We're not losing all these sick birds compared to the swine industry. So, you know, that's where I see, obviously, they're more efficient and more cost effective, too, than us. So 
I haven't seen a lot of improvements on feed efficiency lately. It seems like we're kind of stuck on that needle. We look at energy costs and now we're feeding very low energy diets to swine. We're not ready for that. So, you know, we need to make a lot of improvements genetically, nutritionally, management wise to improve our efficiency to compete with the poultry industry. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I agree. I don't think currently the pork industry is very prepared for ASF. I think we've got a lot of opportunity to prepare for it right now, but now is the time. Yeah. And you just need to look at Europe and see what's going on there to realize what's going to happen if we're not. Yep. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Chris. It was a pleasure having you on The Real P3. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. I hope we can do this again. Yeah. And for the audience, we'll make sure in the show notes and our social media to make sure we tag every pig. So if you want to reach out to Chris and his team, you'll be able to. So thank you. Great. Thanks for having me, Casey. Well, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris as I always do. He gives me great insights and he's a great thought leader in our industry. And not to mention that he continuously develops tools that's going to innovate and change our industry for the better. And as always, if you get a chance today, hug a pig for me.